everybody can make it tonight. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit different, uh, as you can already tell. So uh, if tonight's service was a baseball pitch, you just got thrown a curveball. So this was up. So uh, I think last time I preached in June, I didn't have my glasses yet. So, you know, when we get up here, we talk about one of the things we try to do is blur our eyes so we can't really see anybody's face. It just makes you feel more comfortable and right now, everybody's in HD, so it's making me feel a little strange. But uh, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to do something that we do with a youth group every three months or so. It's something we took from camp a couple years ago, just as just a self-assessment for you to, you know, just look and really self-assess where you're at with your walk. How are things going? And uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight. So before you check out and, you know, just think, oh, a youth group sermon just just hang on because I know it's something that I do on a regular basis and when you do it and you really look at yourself honestly it, it can really challenge you to see where you're at with your walk so honesty plays a big piece and uh, like I said it's going to be a little different uh, the plan is for this to only be about 20 minutes or so and then we're going to do a lot of singing on the end I think it's just something we've been wanting to do for a while is just just worship together for a for an extended time, so we're going to do that tonight. But so, like I said, honesty plays a big part in in how you take this sermon. So, um, one of the things we do in business every year is we write a business plan. Um, I don't know how many businesses do it. I know where I work, we do it every year. And what this business plan does is this is how you say you're going to operate your business on paper. You set goals, you set objectives, and you set tactics. And everything about your business goes back to this business plan. So when you start to fall in an area, you go back to your business plan and you look at your tactics and you evaluate how do we get back on track to our end goal. Well, one of the first things you do when you write your business plans, we do what we call a SWOT analysis. It's your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And your SWOT analysis to write your business plan is only going to be as good as you are honest. So you have your SWOT, SW, strengths and weaknesses. Those are internal factors of your business. So when you think about your strengths and weaknesses in the business plan, you have to look internally and you have to be honest. So one thing we always say, just going back to what I was saying, if, you, if you're doing you know, a SWOT and you're trying to convince yourself, oh, I, I think I am good in this area, you're not. You just have to be honest with yourself for, for it to be legitimate. So... Uh, one of the things we're going to do, uh, we're going to be examining two characters from the Bible, and we're going to be looking at their lives. So we're going to be looking at Paul, and I think everybody can agree that Paul lived what we would call a called life. Um, I'm not going to go through bullet points about Paul. I think everybody knows after, after his conversion, I think he lived what everybody would call a, uh, a called life. And then we're going to look at another character, and we're going to classify that as a buried life. Somebody who may just be in a funk, maybe they're not a believer, uh, but we're going to look at those two characters and really look at ourselves and see where we fall in that area. All right, so if you want, you can go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Uh, this is where we're going to start with Paul. And what's going on right now is Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. 
uh, and he's writing to Timothy. Um, and it's a very, very personal letter because he's in prison and Paul is acknowledging that the end is, is imminent for him. He's about to die. Um, so he writes this personal letter for Timothy and he's trying to get Timothy to come visit him. Well, he makes this letter very personal because he's, he's facing the reality that he may die before Timothy gets there. So he needs to put all this information in this letter um, for, for Timothy. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy 4. We're going to look at uh, verse 6. All right, so he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to, who, <clears throat> to all who have loved his appearing. All right, so like I said, he knows that the end, is, the end is pretty close for him. He talks about uh, being poured out, and you know, what he's saying there is when the priest uh, would sacrifice a lamb or a ram, they would pour a bottle of wine on the side of the altar. And this would signify, um, this was the last act in the sacrifice, and it, would, it was a symbolization of the dedication of the believer of God. So the pouring out of the wine pictured here is just a gradual ebbing away of Paul's life and that he had been a living sacrifice. So he knows the time is coming. And then the second part of that, he says, the time for my departure is near. You know, it's coming. I'm about to die. But hey, this is what I need you to know. And he talks about what his life looked like. Um, and he talks about three things specifically. And that's what we're going to look at. So if you like to take notes, you can start on this first session. We're going to look at three ways that Paul lived a called life or what does a called life look like? All right. So the first point, a called life, it's a fight. So if we look at the first part of verse 7, Paul's telling Timothy, I fought the good fight. So the word in this text for fight, this is the word where we get our English word for agony. All right, so it implies it's a battle, it's tough, it's painful. And they would have understood this as referring to like a wrestling match. So two people are constantly struggling for supremacy. And, you know, it would have been taken, it's a fight. So that's, you know, when we look at our life, a called life is a fight. It's not easy. Paul, excuse me, he's reminding us as believers that we're not, we're not on a playground. We're on a battlefield. It's tough. Whenever you become a Christian, you are constantly fighting. We're not saved to a luxury cruise. So we don't get saved. And then everything is just peaches and cream. It's a fight. We're constantly battling. Um, The Christian life is always described as a battle or being at war. And with that, it's generally three things. And Paul refers to them a good bit. Um, it's a war with the world, with the enemy, and with the flesh. All right, so you don't have to turn here, but we'll have it up. But Ephesians 2, uh, Paul talks about this. <clears throat> and we're looking at Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 3. Like I said, you don't have to turn. But, uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So there we go. There's our first fight. Paul's reinforcing the world. That's one of our fights. The end of verse 2 right here. Um, So in the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we're at fight with the enemy, always fighting. And then the third one in verse 3, with the flesh. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So once we come into this life with Christ, we're fighting ourselves. That's our biggest fight. We have the enemy, we have the world, but our biggest fight is with ourselves, is with the flesh. And Paul talks about this over and over again. His biggest fight was within. That's our biggest fight. Our biggest fight is always going to come from within. And for us, there's enough of our old nature left over that makes our faith a struggle. You know, we're always going to want to seek or trust ourselves, to lean on our own understandings, uh, to seek our own glory. And those are the things that we have to fight against. You know, the greatest threat to the kingdom we have is us making our own kingdoms. I mean, that's it. Our biggest fight comes from within. So we can look and we can see, Paul says he fought the good fight. It's tough, but one thing to realize, it's not all doom and gloom. So we're fighting, yes, it's tough. We're never told in Scripture anywhere that our relationship is going to be easy, but we have to look for that joy. And during that fight, we have to have joy in the fact that we're not rooted in this world. That's where we get our joy. So yes, it's tough. It's a fight, but we find joy that our hope is not rooted in this world. And we should be motivated that we have guaranteed victory in Christ. So yes, it's a fight, but we still have to find joy. So that first part, a called life, it's a fight. It's not, it's not easy. It's a battle all the time. Point number two, a called life, it's relentless. We have to be constantly training. So we look in the second, second part of verse 7, and Paul says, I have finished the race. Like He uses this illustration all through his letters of athletes training, uh, competing, and we're all competing to finish the race. And this is no different here. He says, I have finished the race. We don't train just to compete. We train to finish the race. The call life is relentless. We never stop. It's not an endurance race. I mean, <laughs> this is an endurance race, not a sprint. So it's not something where we're just shooting to get to the end. It's constantly, it's relentless. Um, we talk in youth group, a lot of our youth play in band. So we talk about the fact that, okay, maybe the athlete thing just doesn't, doesn't work for them. But still in the same regard, they're not going to walk out for halftime without practicing, you know, I don't know what they're called, but all the steps you have to make and all the whatever, the turns and the trombone, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not just going to walk out there and do it. You have to practice. You have to train. And same thing, you know, Hank, one of our youth leaders, is also a professional cage fighter. If you didn't know that, watch out. Uh-huh. But he's not going to step into a fight without training. You know, he's going to start dieting. He's going to get his body ready. He's going to train. He's going to get in shape. And he doesn't do that so he can go into a cage with another guy and just, just hope for the best. He trains to finish at what he's doing. Um, I think it's really important here when we talk about the relentless and constantly training. We never see anywhere that Paul talks about, you know, we're going we're to try to do this. You know, we don't try to finish a race. We train to finish the race. Um, this race that we're fighting, like we said, it's relentless, but it's kingdom-minded, and it's constantly abiding. Um, you can't take your race and compare it to somebody else's. You know, you are, you are racing for yourself. Uh, if you start trying to compare your walk to other people's, that's where jealousy and things like that creep in. Um, and we're not judged on how long or short this race is. We're judged on how we finish. Um, does anybody ever heard 
a little history lesson. Where we get our word marathon from, by any chance? Uh, well, if you haven't, a little land yet for you. Uh, so the Athenians had just won a battle against the Persians, uh, and they were in a village called Marathon. So they send this, this soldier to run back to Athens to tell of the victory. So this soldier runs back, and he ran so hard, he ran as fast as he could, that he gets there and he tells them, you know, we've won the war, and then he drops dead. But when you look at it, try to make a little connection here, so bear with me. He finished his race. He did what he was sent to do. Um, he finished the course, and because of that, you know, it was 26 miles from Marathon to Athens. That's where we get the word marathon. If he wouldn't have made it, what would we call a marathon? I don't know. But, but either way, you know, if he wouldn't have made it, nobody would know this story. He finished the race, and therefore, we know what's going on. If he wouldn't have made it, we wouldn't be talking about him right now. So the call life is relentless. We have to constantly train, and we train to finish the race. And it's like I said, it's not how long or short the race is. It's how we finish, and we don't compare our race to anybody else's. All right? So third point of a called life. Um, it's a trust. It's, it's being a good steward of the call. It's what are you going to pass down? And when we look at the last part of verse 7, Paul says, I have kept the faith. And this faith is like a trust fund. It's, it's built up and it's meant to be passed down. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. He's telling him, hey, you need to guard the trust. He had kept and guarded and entrusted the faith and passed it on. He had maintained faithfulness to Christ all through this great suffering. It's Paul's trust in Christ. Uh, Paul's cr trust in who Christ is is what allowed him <clears throat> uh, to maintain that fighting and sustain him. So we have to pass it down. And he guarded this faith and then he passed it. So our duty is to receive the message of faith and pass it along just as we receive it. Um, this is how you steward the call and that's keeping the faith. That's what a called life does. So if that's part of what we're supposed to do, we take, receive this message of faith, and we pass it along. You have to think that what types of faith do we not want to pass down? So, you know, you think there's a nursery full of kids over there. What are we going to pass down to them? And, you know, you could go on and on, but I just put some, and these are some that I think stand out for a youth group. I think they'll apply, but we call this, these are types of faith that we don't want to pass down. We call it a parental faith is one. I am because my parents are. You know, that's not a faith that's going to sustain you for anything to look and say, well, you know, there was never conviction in my life. The reason that I say I'm a Christian is just, you know, I felt the time I was right. This is what my parents always did. But I was never truly convicted of sin and faced with the fact that I'm a sinner and repentant on my own. That's not a faith that we're going to pass down or that we should pass down. We've got, you don't want to pass down a department faith where you say some parts of me are good, but other parts are not. But I'm content with that because I'm just content with it. That's not a faith. That's not something you want to steward to somebody else and pass down. Then we got goosebump faith. This is the big one at youth camp, you know. I got chills. Everything was great. People were all huddled around me. I made the decision. And, I, oh, man, it was awesome. And then two weeks later, what happens? You get hit in the real world where you have that fight and you're not relentless and then what? That's not a faith you want to pass down. We call that the goosebump faith. It's not a book. So. Uh, all right, and then we have the wuss faith. So I'm a Christian, but not around certain people. 
And this, you know, this applies to anybody. So how do you act in community group? How do we act in church? But then when we go to work, you know, are we that same person? You know, if you're not, stop being a wuss. Like, that's not the faith that we want to pass down. You know, you look at these, and like I said, the li- you can make up so many types of faith uh, that should not be passed down, but the reality is all those have in common is none of them are centered in, in is Christ being the deepest desire. That's not the type of faith that we want to pass down. All right, so we, we look at Paul's life, and we can say his life was a fight. It was relentless, and then he kept the trust, and he passed down a good fight. You know, so that's the three points from the first part on Paul and his character. Paul lived the called life. He set a great example for how all of us should live. All right. So now we're going to look at the, the next character. Uh, so if you want to turn to Mark, this is going to be in chapter 5. Um, this text is a little bit longer, but uh, here Jesus has just calmed the storm and he steps on land. And this is where we... We see this different character. And this guy, like I said, we're going to call this the buried life. So either you're in a funk or something's happened where you just feel like you just can't, can't get out. Or, you know, maybe you're just not a believer. So this section we'll call this, what does the buried life look like? Or how was this guy buried? All right, so we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 20. So it's a nice little section. So they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, a legion is anywhere from 2,000 to 16, I mean, 2,000 to 6,000 of anything. The Roman soldier legions were 6,000, so uh, ultimately this guy had 2,000 to 6,000 spirits in him. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea where they drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they begged to Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not, per- <clears throat> and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. All right, so completely different 
character or life from what we see Paul was living. Um, so we're going to look, you know, how was this guy, what was going on with him? Um, how was he living this life? So the first way that this guy was buried uh, is pretty, on, pretty obvious. He was demonically controlled. So before you freak out, not saying anybody here is controlled by a demon, but what we do need to look at here is that, you know, you're, you're controlled by a spirit, and it's either going to be the Holy Spirit or it's not. And that's just a reality that you have to face. So you're controlled by some spirit. This guy was demonically controlled. Um, that other spirit, if it's not the Holy Spirit, is going to be us. You know, this is where our wills are controlled by our desires. Um, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit with the flesh. Um, here's what Dallas Willard uh, talks about with this. I don't have the quote, so you just have to, have to listen. So, and then there is the flesh. The flesh is primarily to be identified with the natural desires of human beings, and the flesh within the human being wars with the human spirit. The human spirit is the will, and the will, if not totally enslaved by desire, is always contemplating alternatives. Seeking what is best, or sorry, seeking what is best, but desire does not contemplate alternatives. Paul said in Galatians 5 that the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. Flesh. That's the natural condition because flesh gives rise to desire. All right, so this guy was controlled by another spirit. So you have to look at yourself. What are you being driven by? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are you being led by the flesh or your own desires? So that can lead to you living a buried life or staying in this, you know, not being able to jump over to abiding life and things like that. All right, so second way this guy was buried. The guy lived in a dead community. If you look at verse 3, um, he lived among the tombs and no one can bind him anymore with an evil chain. So when we're generally in a spiritual funk or, you know, we're just not believers, we're out of community. Um, there's no one pouring into us. We're not pouring into anybody and we're in a dead community. This guy lived in a dead community. He had nobody holding him accountable for anything. He had nobody to talk to and nobody pouring into him. Um, but it... A dead community doesn't necessarily just mean somebody being in solitude or being around unbelievers. Um, you can be around many believers and still be in a dead community. Um, I'm going to read something that may sound familiar uh, to some of us. So, as we grow in our relationship with God, we will follow his example by caring for one another in every way, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. We will invest ourselves in the lives of others and will open up our own lives for others to invest in us. God will be the centerpiece of our friendships, relationships, and marriages. And we will commit to raising our children to be disciples of Christ. We will walk together through all seasons of life, no matter what struggles or victories may come our way. <clears throat> and as the need surely arise, we will resolve conflict according to the biblical model established by Christ and practiced by the early church. That's our church covenant. As a community, this is in our covenant. So covenant members, we say that every time we have a family meeting, but are we truly living that out? Because if we're not, then we can surround ourselves with as many believers and friends as we want, but still be in a dead community where nothing has happened. You know, um, when we're not investing in each other, when we're not digging in each other's lives, when we're not challenging or confessing each other, we ultimately are living in a dead community. And there's no difference in what this guy's going through than what we are if we're staying in that dead community. 
All right, so buried life. He lives in a dead community, and he's controlled by, uh, you know, just not the Holy Spirit. All right. Third, third uh, reason this guy was buried. He has damaging consequences. If you look at verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When we're not abiding in Christ, we have damaging consequences. So this guy's running around cutting himself, which is a reality that, you know, people do that. But the damaging consequences go further than that. We're not abiding. That's when we click on links that we shouldn't click. We're prone to gossip. Uh, we're selfish. We're partial. We don't see everybody as image bearers. And those consequences for us can be damaging. And they don't move you forward. They keep you buried when you keep living in that cycle of those consequences. So when you look at this guy and Paul, we talked about Paul's biggest fight and our biggest fight coming from within. That's the one thing that Paul and this guy have in common. Their biggest fight came from within. That's their biggest struggle. Both of them were fighting against something on the inside. And that's always going to be our biggest fight. Um, You know, when we really take this and we can look at it honestly and we honestly assess ourselves, you know, where do we fall with this? Can we say we're living the called life right now or are we in that funk? You know, when you truly take these two lives and what we can pull out and you look at your own self, where are you at? Where do you fall? And like I said, it has to be done truthfully and honestly. I told you it was going to be quick, and then we were going to sing. So the band, you guys can come back up. Um, So when we look at this guy, there is one thing that we can say. There is a hope. And when we look through the rest of Mark, there's there's another part of this story that comes through, and you look and you say, okay, So what does Jesus do with this life? What does Jesus do with this guy's life? So a lot of times I think when, you know, sermons are taught, it's taught that, okay, you're either this or you're that, and it's just left there. You're either good or you're bad. Um, But we have to look through this and see, yes, this guy was living a buried life, but what did Christ come in and do for this guy? All right, so the first thing, what does Jesus do with this, this guy's life? Jesus initiates. Jesus doesn't run from this guy who's possessed by a demon. Grace always takes the first step, always. Grace will take the first step. When we're not abiding or if we're buried, someone else has to take that first step for us. Okay? He did the hard work and he met us where we were, and he took the great burden. He went on the cross for us. So Jesus initiates this guy, and for us, the cross, that's our initiative. So Jesus initiated this guy. The second thing Jesus does is he exposes. The demons know they're about to be judged whenever they're walking or whenever Christ and them meet. And that's, you know, they say, do not torment me. They know what's coming. You know, in the presence of God and true worship, that's when our sin is exposed. We're in the presence. You're going to be convicted. But what are you going to do with it? Um, You know, I said it. Probably the last two or three times I talk, it always comes down to God wanting to deal with, you know, deal with us. But he doesn't want to expose things to us for us just to say, hey, I just wanted to point that out to you. He wants to deal with it. So what do we do with that? Jesus exposes this guy and they know they're about to be judged. 
The next thing he does is he transfers. If you look at verse 10 through 13. And he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and were drowned at sea. So he transfers this evil spirit to these pigs. They're minding their business and they jump off a cliff and drown. This is exactly what he's done for us. I mean, we become legion in this instance. He took all of our nastiness, put it on himself, and died. So he transfers. He takes that transfer force, and he does the same thing with this guy. All right, the next thing, he transforms. If we look at verse 14 through 16, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So he transformed. This guy is now sitting there clothed in his right mind. This is exactly how he is supposed to be. This is what he was supposed to be all along. And Jesus saw that he wasn't yet who he was supposed to be, and he still pursued him. He went after him. No one is too far gone. This guy was not too far gone with 2,000 to 6,000 demons living in him that Christ still didn't initiate and go after him and then transform him. All right. The last thing we see in verse 18 through 20 is that Jesus commands. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Go and tell everyone how the Lord has had mercy on you. Keep the faith. Be a good steward of your call. That was Jesus' command. When we look back at Paul's life, I've kept the faith. That's exactly we take what we've been taught and you go tell people about it. So like I said it was going to be short because I think it's going to be cool to sing a good bit tonight. But what, what do you do with this? Um, I can't, it's not something that I can answer. We talked about being honest. It's something where you have to look at yourself and you have to honestly assess and answer where your heart is or where has it been lately. So if you've been living the called, the called life or are you living in this funk and this buried life? Are you in community or are you in around believers and you realize your relationships aren't centered on great things? You know, are you living in that dead community? Can you honestly look inside and evaluate where you're at? You know, Paul talked about in the first part, you know, he fought the good fight. So are we fighting the good fight? And really, if there's a good fight, he doesn't mention it. But what is the bad fight? You know, are we fighting a bad fight or are we fighting the good fight? All right, so, so we're going to sing a good bit now. And like I said, I mean, there's, I don't know what to tell you to do with it. You have to handle it in your own way and look honestly. But, you know, that's just the challenge. You know, are you living the called life? Can you say that you're truly fighting? Are you being relentless? Um, or are we in a dead community? Are we being controlled by our own fleshly desires? Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing, and like I said, it's just...
kind of respond how you need. Uh, So we'll go ahead and pray. Lord, I just, I thank you for tonight and just the opportunity to get up here and and speak. And, you know, even though it's short, Lord, I pray that the message was clear and that we're challenged. Um, I pray that we're challenged to fight, uh, to continue our fight. Uh, But I pray that within that fight, Lord, that that we realize that we have so much joy because our hope is not rooted here. I pray that we can be great stewards of the call, Lord, and that we can we can hold that trust and we can pass it down, Lord. I pray that we can dig into each other's lives, not just a community group, not just hanging out after church. When we're hanging out, that we can really dig into each other and it not be weird and awkward. I mean, that, that's what we've committed to in our covenant. Even if you're not members here, that's, that's just what we're committed to as believers. I pray, Lord, that we can, we can see you for who you are, Lord. And I just I thank you that at some point in all of our lives that, that you have initiated something, that you have transformed some of us, and some of us are still being transformed. We're all being transformed, Lord, and just walking in that sanctification. Uh, Lord, I just pray that we'll finish the race, Lord, and just pray that if we are living that buried life, that we can, we, can look to, we can look to you and know that you are there and you're ready, just waiting. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen.